Hey everyone, welcome to Orange Crushing It, a weekly series dedicated to high drive, passionate and motivated individuals. I'm your host, Frank Clark, President and CEO of The Mr. Orange. This shows a weekly dose of business, life and personal development principles geared toward bringing out the adrenaline junkie and overachiever in each and every one of you. As a seasoned entrepreneur of over five companies producing hundreds of millions in revenue, I'm going to personally be sharing my stories of success and, of course, my life-defining massive screw-ups, <laughs> as well as featuring inspiring guests, business leaders, athletes, thrill-seekers who just truly want to walk their talk and make life happen. Stick around, and let's get crushing. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Orange Crushing It. My name is Frank Clark. I'm the CEO of The Mr. Orange. Welcome to 2021. We kick off our podcast series in this year. I'm excited. I don't know if you guys, I hope you had a great 2020. I know there was a pandemic. I know there was a lot of changes in the in the uh, economy. I know there was changes, obviously, in the political scene. And of course, you know, from a health risk and isolations and business community, we all went through something that hopefully we'll never have to see again in our lifetime. And it, it, I'm sure it's going to impact generations from now it's something we dealt with and people pivoted, people changed, people learned a lot about themselves. I know I did as well. And I know a lot of people in the orange crushing it community did as well. So this year, 2021, who knows where that's going to go, but let's all make the best of it. Let's stay driven. Let's stay passionate. To kick off this year's podcasts with my very first one, I decided to bring on somebody that I just knew just from meeting this guy that he was going to be amazing, incredible. It just goes to show that he's obviously a gorgeous guy, has great genes, and happens to have a name that just is associated with <laughs> humility, <laughs> good looks, and everything else. Frank Clark, welcome to <laughs> Orange Crushing. That's right, everybody. I have another Frank Clark here. The other side was regular. Yes, my doppelganger. Frank Clark, welcome to Orange Crushing It, brother. <laughs> How Thank are you? you? Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you having me on the show. Oh, my pleasure. I mean, you're an entrepreneur like me, serial entrepreneur, been doing yep. Businesses for over 30 years. And I mean, impressive, impressive background. Yeah. Took a company public, was featured in NASDAQ. Well, uh, technically, I, I didn't take the company public, but we can get into that. Okay. Well, I saw your no face. Public. Your face is on a billboard, so that's what matters, yes. right? Okay. <laughs> you ringing the bell. So, again, welcome to Orange Crushing It. I, I thought it would be fun just to have another Frank Clark interviewing Frank Clark. I got to get my dad and your son on here, too. So, we're going to have the foursome <laughs> of Frank Clarks on here. <laughs> Welcome to the show. And Frank, I mean, tell us a little bit about you. Where did you come from? What's, uh, what's, your, what's your history? And how'd you get involved in just entrepreneurs and knowing that that's what you're calling? And tell me a little bit where, about where it's taken you. Sure. So thanks again. And uh, it's an honor to be on here. I've heard a lot of good things about you from multiple sources, from the Tony Robbins and Powerton community, from Sean Callie and the Unblinded community. So really a, a pleasure and an honor to connect with you last week and here on this podcast. I'm uh, looking forward to, to great things together. I started my entrepreneurial journey as a, as a little kid, I guess as a lot of people do, do selling, you know, tried to do the newspaper thing, didn't, didn't work for me, didn't like it, but I was picking and selling blueberries when I was a little kid in front of my grandfather's house. From that, working with my dad and his, his uh, side hustle, and always on the outside, kind of looking in, trying to figure it out, but just trying to like figure out how to make money. Worked a lot of odd jobs along the way in, you know, from fast food in, in high school to, you know, whatever it took, mowing lawns, shoveling driveways, you know, the usual. And 
all I knew is that I was I was struggling. People around me were in that when I won when I grew up, whatever I did, I, I didn't have like a it wasn't like I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to be a lawyer. I just wanted to be rich. I wanted to have money. I wanted to be you know wealthy and and, and uh, you know not have to struggle so much. And you know basically didn't know what I was doing as a as a kid. You know go through college. I didn't have mentorship. You know as people would think of it. Um, just you know, school of hard knocks, trying to figure it out. So I tried this, tried that, tried this, tried that, kept asking questions. And, you know, when I was in college, I was at a career event and trying to figure out what I was going to do after college. And somebody's, you know, people were telling me, oh, you got to go to Wall Street and work on Wall Street. That's where the big money is. I'm like, all right, how do I get a shot on Wall Street? <laughs> so I kept asking. I got some advice from a, from an accounting type and, uh, told me to go work at a big insurance company for a year and then use that experience to get a job on Wall Street. So I thought that was like the playbook and that's exactly what I did. Right. Go get the series six, get the series with six, six, 63. So actually I didn't, I was on the equity research side, which was like a dream job uh, for me. I was basically using, you know, I was a math major computer science minor type. So I was like a tech geek and it was all about using computers and mathematics to try and pick, pick stocks. That was like, that was exactly what I wanted to learn. So I was in the right place at the right time. The challenge for me at the time was the people that I was surrounded with, not in, in the company, because the, the company is great. I met some amazing people, some of whom I'm still in touch with at Merrill Lynch. But some of the folks that I was working with directly were just had a very negative attitude, uh, very much a, you know, a downer. And it led to some soul searching on my part. And I was not a reader. I didn't have a mentor or business you know, leadership I could look to and say, hey, what should I do as my next move? So I turned to books. I started asking people, what's what's the best book I can read to learn how to pick stocks? And was fortunate to be on the same floor with a legendary technical analyst by the name of Bob Farrell, who recommended this book called How to Make Money in Stocks by William O'Neill. And oh. if you're interested in stock picking, it's a phenomenal book to learn how to pick stocks. He's also the founder of a newspaper called Investors Business Daily, best finance and investment paper there's a copy of it. So I yeah. be weekly and it's been phenomenal tool and helped me understand finance and, and uh, start to understand business a little bit and then open up my eyes about what else was, was possible after that. Yeah. When you mentioned IBD, you and I have done a similar seminar called Wealth Mastery. And I remember getting exposed to that when I was taught how to trade options. And one of the things I like about Investors Business Daily is, well, one of the things, just to step back a little bit, Frank, you, know, you mentioned reading books, you mentioned being mentored, you mentioned, you know, trying different things. You know, knowledge is the king. It really is. And seeking to get, to get smarter and to get better and to challenge your, your comfort zones. I mean, it's amazing. And then you take the, once you learn it, it's doing it. It's putting into action, right? Because we are, there's a lot of people that are really book smart and really don't apply it at all. But I remember one of the things about Investors Business Daily is they break things down into really, really simple terms. And they have little tips on the front page of the paper and they Absolutely. grade stocks, you know, from A to F. And, and so charts are amazing. Charts are easy to read and they teach you how to do it every single day. Your green screen is, your green screen's wiping out the paper there, brother. But we're a podcast anyway, so you can't see it. So <laughs> yeah, but the, the charts are incredible. They're incredible. And, you know, so for anybody who's listening, 
and you and you want to get involved in the stock market, or even if you don't understand it, or you think you understand it, subscribe to IBD because I think it's just a great paper. Anyways, there's a plug for it. you, Investors Business Daily. So, anyways, Frank, sorry. yeah, great infomercial. So you're on Wall Street. I mean, you're you're similar age to me. So I mean, was Gordon Gecko one of your inspiration? You look at that whole. Uh, yeah, I, not really. I mean, I saw the movie, but obviously, I didn't appreciate the ethics behind that. Of course not. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I was I was literally like living that before the movie came out in in a sense because I was literally working in downtown Manhattan, lower Manhattan in the financial district at Merrill Lynch, one of the biggest brokerage houses. Then later at Drexel Burnham, which the inspiration for that movie was Ivan Boski, who was a client of Drexel and, and Michael Milken. Michael Milken later went to jail. Drexel Burnham went bankrupt in the immediate aftermath of that. So I was like, you know, working side by side with, with the folks that kind of inspired that movie. So yeah. in fact, I, a story I like to tell about Wall Street and what really piqued my interest and convinced me I had to get that job on Wall Street sooner than later was the crash of 87. I'd just been working for a short time. I graduated in 86. So just been working for a short time at the insurance company. And the day of the crash, somebody told me the stock market's crashing. I worked three blocks from the New York Stock Exchange. So I literally walked up there at lunchtime, got in line for the visitor's gallery and went and stood upstairs in the visitor's gallery in the New York Stock Exchange on October 19th, 1987, watching all the traders, just, you know, all the flurry of activity. It was incredible. Mayhem. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, again, mayhem in the 86, 87, right? The whole, when the market crashed. But yet, right? Everybody pivots, right? You figure a way to do it. You figure a way exactly. to rebound, right? So. I've had a lifetime of pivoting. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a successful guy. And that's part of, you know, that's part of what makes you successful. You know, I listened to General Schwarzkopf one time speak at a, at a group, a large group. And I remember one thing he said was, look, when you're put in a position of leadership, make a decision. And just yes. follow through with it, right? You don't have time to mess around. If you make the wrong decision, make another one. Don't stand there and just accept the decision you made because, oh, I'm a leader and I'm supposed to make all the correct decisions. Sometimes we fuck up. Sometimes we make mistakes. Exactly. Your team's yeah. going to let you know. Your family, your your peeps are going to let you know, hey, you're going the wrong way, dude. You got to turn this ship around. So you can make a new decision. Right. Let your ego get out of the way. But make exactly. a decision and then take action on it as well, right? Move, uh, move one of the great lines, comeback lines I saw from from somebody, I can't remember who or, or, or the context, but they're talking about, oh, when you were so-and-so, you did this or you, you did that. And the guy's response was, yes. And then I recognized I made a mistake and then I made a different decision and took my life in a different direction. Right. <laughs> what do you do when you make mistakes? <laughs> you well, know? hopefully you learn from them, right? Hopefully yeah, you learn you, from them. You learn from them. So this guy was trying to pin him on his past mistakes He's like, yeah, I recognized it was a mistake. I stopped doing that, went in a new direction and turned my life around. What would you, you make would you say, Frank? I agree with it. I mean, I totally agree. That's the way to do it. What would you say in your lifetime was the biggest mistake that turned into the biggest lesson for you? Wow, I made a lot of mistakes. It's <laughs> a big field to, to play with there. <laughs> Coming on this podcast is not an acceptable answer, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I'm going to do some soul searching for after this. <laughs> you know, biggest mistake, I guess, has been, you know, trusting people too much sometimes and giving them the benefit of the doubt when they prove that they don't deserve the benefit of the doubt. So I'm a big believer in second chances and, and uh, letting people try again and, until they, they, they succeed. But there is a limit to that. And you have to know when to cut people off and sometimes cut them out of your life. 
Yeah, I agree. It, you know, we all believe that love should be unconditional. And it's to some degree, that's a great way to look at life, right? To love everybody, love everybody. Yeah, absolutely. But I also believe with conditions, there has to be some level of conditioning. In well, some letter, I, I'd say love everybody so. unconditionally, but that doesn't mean you have to be in a relationship with them, whether it's business, family, friendship, whatever it is. You know, if, if a relationship is toxic or abusive or uh, not serving you, you can still love the person and let go of the relationship, right? Sure. Sure, absolutely. I mean, again, with boundaries, right? So you're a type yeah. of person, you know, a lot like me, I, I've been told, you know, you're nice to a fault, Frank. You let people take advantage of you and yeah. you're giving, 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 and you're generous, and then you get burned by it. And that's not a, you know, that's not necessarily a feeling we all want to have. And to some degree, you know, okay, that, that may have been your own history. It's you know, certainly, I have enough stories that on my side of it. <laughs> and I don't regret any of it because I, I did learn a lot and I did, you know, I did a lot of good for people and as, as I'm sure you have as well. Absolutely. And if, if I, you know, hadn't made the mistakes that I made when, when I made them the way that I made them, I wouldn't have been able to achieve the other things in my life that I've been able to achieve or accomplish the results in the, in the world that I've, I've helped create. So. Yeah. And now, now you're no coaching regrets. people. Yeah. No regrets, man. And now part of your profession is you're helping other people coach. You're coaching them through, you know, growth, business, life skills. And I know you're a student of Tony Robbins as well. Yes. Long time uh, student, Tony Robbins and many other speakers and authors and so forth. What was one of the best lessons, one of the biggest takeaways you took from Tony or somebody else that really, if you could say, you know, these are the one or two or three things. If I can only learn two or three things from all these motivational speakers in 30 years, chunking it down to three, two or three things, what would it be? Wow. Let me set this up. Before I ever heard of Tony Robbins or did any of his programs or anything, I probably read 500 books on, on business and finance and marketing and sales and real estate and real estate development and everything I get my hands on about trying to figure out how to be successful. So by the time I read Tony Robbins' book, I was pretty well steeped in, in you know, business literature, et cetera, and a little bit just starting in, into the self-help kind of field. Tony really just opened whole sets of doors for me in terms of how to you know, have a more balanced life in things like um, nutrition and fitness and spirituality and emotional relationship connection. So just opened my, my mind to reading other types of books, to working other aspects of myself, to having more of a balance, and then to, you know, play, play on a bigger stage. So I'll tell you the story. When I was at, I was at a uh, dark point in my life, right, where I'd, uh, I'd left my job on Wall Street to bike across the country and then decided I was going to be a real estate developer, right? I was finishing grad school at NYU when I got back from the bike trip and thought I was going to build the next uh, Empire State Building or something like that, right? I was always like, like a, a big thinker. And then I, I had uh, a development project that kind of like fell apart. So again, tough lessons, learned a lot, didn't make any money and set me back a ways. And when I got back, I was like, okay, I don't, you know, it was a real estate depression at the time. The SNL crisis had hit and the banks were, you know, the SNLs were going under. A lot of the big real estate developers were going under. There was no new development happening in New York City. So I had to pivot. I had to find something else to do. So that's the time in my life that I, I was doing the, the self-help and, and Tony Robbins came into my life or I discovered him, whatever. And it was at... Life Mastery in 1993, and I'd been presented with an opportunity. Opportunities come all the time, right? You just have to have your 
eyes open to them. But I'd been presented with, with an opportunity a couple months before, and I'd started looking at it. I wasn't sure I wanted to do it, anything with it or where it would go. But I read a, a powerful book by Paul Pilzer, who Tony Robbins actually had on stage at the Life Mastery event in 93. And I talked to Paul Pilzer after he came off the stage at like three or four o'clock in the morning. And he said, I'll answer questions until I have to go to the airport at, at eight. So I stayed up all night with Paul Pilzer, just talking to him, picking his brain. And at that event, I, I made the decision that I was going to take advantage of this opportunity and develop this portfolio of uh, intellectual property and technology that we had sourced in the form of, out of the former Soviet Union. In the form of what was that? The former Soviet Union. So oh, okay. back in the early 90s, the Cold War just ended, Soviet Union had collapsed. But you know, kind of like... Now with COVID, we're seeing you know whole industries are collapsing and being restructured. That was what was happening in the Soviet Union after uh, you know there was no financial support or regulatory infrastructure, and nobody knew what was going to happen. People were just making it up. But there was this infrastructure of intellectual property from the the Soviet investment in the the defense military industrial complex. All this raw science, and these scientists had uh, you know they'd been given the good news, bad news conversation. So. You know, the, the good news is you now own all of your own intellectual property. You're free to do with it, whatever you want. Even though the Soviet Union funded that for, for decades, you now own it because, you know, you developed it. Bad news is we can no longer pay your salary or for your labs or anything. So you're on your own for funding. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So that's where we stepped into the void and essentially you know, started funding these scientists and trying to work on commercially developing their technology inventions discoveries here in the United States. And one of those technologies emerged, uh, and it wasn't easy, by the way, because we probably went bankrupt, you know, or almost went bankrupt like three or four times, especially in the, in the early years, we kept running out of money. But, you know, that forced us to focus, right? Because right. without resources, you're like, all right, we only have enough to do just one thing, which is it going to be? So we focused on this, this medical device technology, on this uh, highly adsorbent polymer, and built a company um, around that, that technology. And that, that technology has emerged now into the publicly uh, traded company that we were talking about. So when you talk about, you know, cellular site absorbance, cytoabsorbance is the name. Cytoabsorbance, yeah. Cytoabsorbance, again, the tongue twister, uh, the company. <laughs> and and it how took, it took me a while, by the way. I wasn't, I wasn't uh, medical or biological based guy. I was a math and computer science guy. So it took me a yeah. while to be able to pronounce half of the words I have, had to use <laughs> in a <the> conversation. <laughs> So, well, again, it's topical because, you know, right now we're into looking for cures for the coronavirus and COVID and, you know, the vaccines are being rushed to the public and there is some one side of the coin that's going, hey, this is being introduced too quickly. There's not enough testing here. There's other, obviously there's the conspiracy theorists, right, that are taking things to the extreme and we're all going to be chipped and we're all going to be, you know, our freedoms are going to be taken away. And then obviously the school of thoughts of, hey, let's get some people healthy. And let's get them healthy quick so we can get back to business. In, in the field of medicine that you were involved in, how do you draw any parallelisms to what could be used today or knowledge that you took away from some of the stuff that should be applied fairly rapidly here so we can get back to business and back to lifestyle as we yeah, know? Sure. So, so there's a lot of very smart people and companies and billions of dollars working on 
different aspects of solutions, right? And there's not any one solution. You sort of need everybody working together on, on all aspects of solutions, right? So you need vaccine preventive measures like masks and social distancing. You need to be responsible and, and uh, you know, be smart about protecting your own immune system, exercising and diet. I'm a big believer in, in both of those things for, for a very long time. On the other end of the spectrum from prevention and going downstream from that to, you know, once you're infected and then once you're infected and it gets worse and you end up hospitalized and then you end up, uh, let's say in an ICU and then on a ventilator and then on, you know, supportive care such as uh, CRRT or ECMO or other things like that, you know, you're kind of like out of options at that point. Sure. So uh, I'll just preface the, the rest of this by saying I, you know, while I'm a co-founder of the company, I'm no longer actively involved with the company. The company is publicly traded. I'm not making any uh, projections or anything for anything having to do with financially. If you're interested, you can visit their website at siteazorbance.com or siteazorb-therapy.com. And I uh, will defer any questions about the financial aspects of it to the company management. But the exciting thing about the technology that we learned early on is that, you know, we were we were approaching it again. We didn't really know what we had at first, and we were approaching it as a, a new modality to make dialysis treatment more efficient for chronic hemodialysis patients. What we discovered along the way, because we, you know, made sure to surround us uh, with really smart people, is that we were removing many things that were important, not just to dialysis patients, but other critically ill patients, such as a, acute renal failure, acute liver failure, things like severe septic shock, acute lung injury, acute burn injury, acute kidney injury, and uh, many, many other uh, critical conditions. And that there seemed to be a lot more leeway of things that we could discover that we were removing. And we discovered that early on when we did an initial test on uh, the removal of something called TNF-alpha, tumor necrosis factor alpha. So it's a cytokine and it's uh, linked to inflammation in the body. What's happened in coronavirus and any coronavirus and in COVID-19, you know, specifically, but they all, all the coronaviruses have this in common is they trigger a massive immune system response, right? There's the initial infection, but that triggers your immune system to fight back. Now, one of the tools that your immune system has to fight back with is inflammation. The role of inflammation is to sort of like isolate the diseased area so that the white cells and macrophages and chemokines and the other immune system components can come in and sort of like eliminate the threat and, and get it out of your body. But what happens with a virus that is replicating and doubling at a rapid pace, right, that's not effectively shut down, is that each new incidence of replication of the virus triggers a new immune response. Okay. You have two incidences of the virus in your body, you know, you still have a relatively small, but then it doubles and doubles and doubles again. You know, the power of compounding, right? Sure. Yep. Pretty soon that leads to a massive inflammatory response into what's called cytokine storm. So the device that we initially created it, you know, first at uh, what was called renal tech and then ultimately uh, cytosorbents is a cytokine filter. The device rapidly and efficiently clears cytokines out of the body now you need your body and your immune system need cytokines at like a certain level, you know, when, when you're just like you and I healthy here talking, no infection, no diseases, et cetera, we're at like a normal levels. When mm -hmm. you sick with something, then your cytokine levels go up a little bit. IL-6, IL-10, IL-18, IL-2, et cetera. 
But when you're in the ICU, your cytokines might be 20,000, 30,000, 50,000 times normal levels. Right. At that point, the best thing you can do is, is try and get rid of those as rapidly, as efficiently as possible. And this cytokine filter does exactly that. It removes whatever's in highest concentration gradient in the body and sort of begins to reverse the cytokine storm cycle. All of that, you know, it sounds very, very technical to me, but very enlightening as well. But a question for you, Frank, you know, if people are getting sick at home or and maybe they've been diagnosed with coronavirus or they feel the symptoms of coronavirus, what would you suggest? I know you're not a doctor here, but what is the... Yeah, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> you're not a doctor, okay. <laughs> Neither am I, but you have a lot more medical history than I, experience here. You know, obviously you have a lot more knowledgeable about this, just in general, what would you suggest is, is probably a quick remedy, not quick remedy, but, you know, look at do this, this, and this, you know, I'm, I'm sucking down the first time I think that I'm sick for, and I, and I got tested for it. First time I thought I was really sick with it though. I just started swallowing as much vitamin C, vitamin D, you know, yeah, Mr. Started, Orange, Mr. Mr. Orange, man. And I'll tell you, man, all that vitamin it, C, baby, you got the, those oranges you got on your screen. <laughs> Absolutely. First line of defense. First line of defense. And I'm going to tell you something, man. I, I took as much vitamin C, vitamin D, even vitamin B as I possibly could. And I was, I was okay in three days. I was back to normal three days, Yeah, you know, stay away, lay low, get some sleep and, uh, and don't screw around with it. Yeah. You know? it, I mean, look, it is a very real disease. I don't know where uh, people are uh, coming up with these crazy conspiracy theories. I also had COVID-19 back in uh, late June, early July. And I, so, you know, I worked in you know the Western medical system developing this supportive therapy that can literally help essentially reverse cytokine storms. So I get the Western medical side and the power of that, and I believe in that. And I also believe in preventive care and alternative treatment, right? Right. So personally, for me, I was eating oranges and drinking orange juice. I was taking vitamin D. I was going out in the sun to get some vitamin D, right? Because it's mm-hmm. Comes from the sun, right? You just go outside and get all the vitamin D you want. I was taking zinc. I read a number of articles showing that zinc helped. I was taking, oh, there, I forget the, the name of the antacid, but there's an antacid. I spoke to a physician friend of mine, and he'd said there'd been some clinical studies that uh, people, Prevacid, Prevacid AC, I think that's okay. it. Okay. Who took that were having less severe side effects and consequences. So I, I was taking that, right? I was taking uh, oil of oregano. There's another thing. It's an anti-inflammatory. It's all natural. You can get it at a uh, health food store. So I had a whole protocol. Pineapple, uh, people don't know this, but pineapple has anti-inflammatory properties. There's a uh, distillation called uh, bromelain that's made from the core of the pineapple stem. So I was taking bromelain, again, as an anti-inflammatory, knowing what it's happening inside my body. It's like, it's triggering my immune system and my inflammation. I want to get that back in control. So antioxidants, anti-inflammatories, antivirals, those are the kinds of things I would focus on from an alternative uh, nutritional approach. to treatment. Sure. Sure. Okay. Well, there you go. You've gotten medical advice now from two Franks. Frankly, I would seek a non-medical device. Seek no, medical attention. Yes, seek medical attention. Medical attention. Maybe not from the Frank and Frank show, but then again, maybe, right? Maybe, hey, look, we're both healthy, so we're doing something right, right? Exactly. 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 Well, Frank, again, you are a, a driven guy. You've done a ton of stuff, and similar lifestyle like myself. I started early, although I did 
make a, a success out of delivering newspapers. So I didn't have to you know, do blueberries after that, but <laughs> newspapers did work for me. Uh, but same same deal, right? Schlepping papers, doing lawn, lawns, snow, uh, shoveling whatever, snow, man, from whatever the it takes. Whatever it takes, right? I, I worked at I, one year. I worked at the county fair, and I just went to up and down to all the stalls of the vendors, and I asked them, "Do you need you know Do you need somebody to work?" And I you know, finally found a guy, and I stood there flying these styrofoam airplanes, 10, 12 hours a day for six days in a row at the county fair. <laughs> and now you have a torn rotator cuff in your shoulder. Okay. <laughs> no, but, uh, you know what? It was a great experience because uh, he had the spiel down like the sales pitch. I was just telling my friend about it yesterday. You know, like the, the knife guys, you know, it slices and dices, but he had it down with, with the airplanes. So I just listened to him deliver that pitch like 10 times in a row. And then I had it memorized. So I, it was like my first sales experience, you know, selling these airplanes. But uh, right. you know, learned a lot from that. Well, now, you know, you talk about the sales pitch and the sales approach, right? And memorization, obviously memorization and practice is the mother of skill and continuing to do it and try it and do it and try it until you, know, you master your craft. I'm a student of sales too. I've been doing sales for almost, well, 38 years and I love it. I love the game of sales. And recently I was introduced to a different way of looking at it and it's called The Formula. And it was uh, created by Sean Callagy of the Unblinded Movement. And I have to say that the, the minor distinctions of the way he looks at it and the way he looks at it is not selling, but integrity-based influence and getting people, not getting people, but the process of going from hello to yes through an integrous process where you're loving people from the heart, not from the head. You're not pitching to them. You're not closing them. You're not selling them. You're getting basically people through the power of influence to do what they already want to do, but enjoy the process. And I really, really find that this is a much better way of, of just communicating with people in general. And now you've Absolutely. been exposed to it a little bit yourself. And, you know, obviously sales is one of the most lucrative positions out there. Most companies pay salespeople sometimes as much as the CEO of the company itself, it's, especially if you get in a good company. If you're selling real estate, you're selling anything, right? There's opportunities, upsides that are very financially lucrative. And there are shortcut ways to it. There's the bullying way to do it. How I mean... Wall Street's been sensationalized through the Wolf of Wall Street and, and the movie Wall Street, you know, beat people up, beat people, a lot of high pressure, a lot of non-integrous methods to get there. And, yep. you know, there's still a lot I, of I worked with some of those traders. <laughs> yeah. And, and to some degree, right, that's still being taught, right? It's yeah. because it gets results. And from what you understand now, what would you say to somebody that wants to get in sales or is thinking about getting in sales? And, you know, for most part, when people even say the word sales or even the thought of having to sell, it just freaks them out. I'm on a scale of one to 10. They're like, no fucking way. I'm not doing this. It's a minus three. I did not happening, right? I'm not selling. When you look at things from the terms of, of integrous influence though, and you're, you're coaching people now, right? You're coaching people now. And I'm sure people come to you and go, I want to get in sales, but I'm afraid. I want to do something, but I'm afraid. What would you, what would you suggest to them? How would you coach them into a, you know, a life of selling, if, if that and truly they have the gift, they have the skill, if they truly want to do it, but are just afraid. If you're afraid, it's it's probably because either you don't have the skills of the training yet and you can get those or you don't believe in the product or the service that you're selling, in which case you need to find a product or service that you truly believe in. Because when you find that product or service that you believe in, it's easy to have a conversation about it and have an integrous influence type of conversation. Right. So. Right. If you, you know, I'm going to pick on timeshares. Timeshares, 
have a, a bad rap and deservedly so in many cases. Now I know, uh, you know, someone who was a timeshare salesman did very well and she saw herself always as just, she was really helping people get what they want. She was extremely successful at it, right? And she believed in it and really believed that she was helping people have like their, their, their vacation thing because she believed in it, she was great at it. And she had to overcome all of the objections that people would naturally come up with but because she believed in it, she was able to bypass that. So, so the, the true element that comes through at the end of the day is influencing with integrity and really caring about the person and trying to help that person with something that you truly, truly believe. They say in sales, you know, you know, if you believe in your product, it's easy to sell. Well, right. if you start by finding a product that you can really believe in and get behind, right? It, it's easy to sell. You're just having a conversation and you're trying to help people understand how it can help improve their lives, their quality of life, their make their family life easier, make them more money or save more money or make their health better or make fitness an easier task for them, whatever it might be. If you know you really believe in something, it's easy to sell. Now, if you're selling something like not good for you, like uh, alcohol, for example, or uh, tobacco, yeah, I can understand. You, you don't feel very good about yourself on something. It's, it's tough to believe, it, you know? Sure. <laughs> but on top of that, too, you know, on top of believing in the product, I think part of the, the reason that some people are very good at sales is because they believe in themselves, too. And they understand that the customer is not saying no to them. They're saying no to the service or the product that they're offering. Exactly. And it's not necessarily about the individual. And that's the, that's the difficult piece, I think, for some salespeople is getting past that, the fear of I'm being rejected. Because in sales, it's a numbers game, right? If you're going to get so many yeses and you're probably going to get more no's than you get yeses because the default answer for people is no. And exactly. And, and the one other comment on that. So if you want to influence in, with integrity, which, which sounds great as a, as a buzzword and, and so forth and a technique and, and you can teach that. And I've read a book called Influence with Integrity. But really, the, the core element of that is have integrity. Right. Having integrity. <laughs> right. <laughs> You know, have <laughs> values that other people can respect, that you can respect yourself for, that your your spouse or your your kids can look up to you for like, wow, my dad, my mom really believes in this and this is what he or she stands for. And I, I, I believe that they're doing what they believe to be the right thing. Sure. I think when people can see integrity, then yeah, the natural thing that's going to emerge for that is going to be influenced with integrity because you believe in something that's, you know, that anybody can get behind. Exactly. Well, exactly. If people can, if people can see them, their future in either the product that you're selling them and a combination of you, the person, right, that's enjoying it or being part of it, they're more apt to follow you. They're more apt to, to listen to you. They're more apt to be influenced by you, I think. Exactly. So we started the show talking about Investors Business Daily and gave them a free plug. Now, that wasn't because you or I are getting a commission from them or have any financial relationship with them. We both loved it. We, we learned a lot from it. We use it and we believe it's a great product. So we're happy to talk about it. Same thing with Tony Robbins. I mean, he gives like unbelievable value and really has helped change like probably hundreds of thousands of people's lives by this point. And then by extension, you know, millions or tens of millions of people's lives from all the people, products that have come out of that infrastructure. So yeah, there, there, there's something there to... There's a ripple effect, right? There's a ripple effect. There's you absolutely a ripple effect. When you affect somebody's good in the world and you create positive externalities, positive consequences downstream, you're creating the opportunity for other people to then in turn create positive consequences. So if you help somebody become wealthy, 
they in turn can help other people like become wealthy or, or have jobs or eat or, or something like that. If you become, help somebody become healthier, they can live longer to see their kids or their grandkids grow up and have positive influence on them. Absolutely. That's a great way to look at things, right? So yeah, creating positive externalities. It's, it's obvious that you're a Frank Clark because of the pearls of wisdom that just spew from your mouth are just great. <laughs> <laughs> We're good, buddy. So, so hey, as we come to the close of the show here, let's, let's go a little fun fact here. My dad is, is Frank Clark. Your son is a Frank Clark, right? Is that what you said? And your yeah. cousin too? You got a cousin? My cousin is Frank Clark and his dad was a Frank Clark. And his dad is a Frank Clark. His dad was Tom Clark. His uncle and my dad's uncle was a Frank Clark. Okay. <laughs> on my mom's side, I've got uh, Franks as well. I've probably got three Franks on my mom's side. No kidding. Yeah. Well, Italian. Well, we only, Irish we only, and Italian, so a lot of Franks. <laughs> we got a lot of Irish. So there's a lot of Franks, either first name or middle names. <laughs> so my, my sister's father-in-law was Frank. Well, and, and Frank, you and I are going to start a show called Frankly Franks, right? Or Yep. Frank and Frank. Frank and Frank. And so this is a this is a plug. I guess we'll throw a little plug out there. That look look for the Frank and Frank. Stay show. tuned out. to this Stay channel tuned. for more exactly. info. For more infos on Frankly Frank and getting the Frank Franks will rule the world. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, brother, thanks for being on the show today. This was a, a fun little spin on your name. It was, hey, it was wild so when much. I first met you. I mean, I met you through the Tony Robbins organization, and I'm like constantly seeing your name, right? I'm seeing your name in professional football and then I'm seeing your name on this Tony Robbins <laughs> roster. I'm like, shit, I got to get to know this guy. <laughs> we are everywhere. <laughs> That's right. We are. But yeah, the same thing for me. Everybody kept calling me Mr. Orange. I'm like, what is Mr. Orange? Where, where's this coming from? <laughs> Why are people calling me a fruit? <laughs> <laughs> I found out who you were and the story behind Mr. Orange and how, how that name came to be. You talked about it in your other podcast and i was like all right i got to connect with this guy at some point and then you just kept turning up and then turning up in the short buggy world and i'm blinded so uh, they think very highly of you over there so you're doing a great job whatever you're doing with them i've had some good conversations about you with some of the some of sean's people and they lo- they love you and think you're uh you're gonna be a powerhouse in uh, developing your working relationship Well, fantastic. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate that. You know, again, well, all we can do is all we can do. And if you come from a place of integrity and, and helping other people get what they want, that's what, uh, that's what the orange energy is all about. We are driven, but we do recognize in the realm of spiral dynamics and the levels of consciousness that in order to get what we want, we have to help other people get what they want. And that's really the truth, the truth about contribution. And that's the truth about abundance. So So that's the second mention of spiral dynamics in a week. So when when I was on with uh, Unblinded last week, and we were joking about the the story, I said, yeah, just call me Mr. Green. (laughs) Well, (laughs) no, like that's, that's great. That's up level on the spiral dynamics chart. I'm like, it's awesome to be in a community where people actually understand know the word spiral dynamics understand what it is and <laughs> throw it around like everybody should know so it's it's awesome it, it is awesome it is it, you know if, for those of the listeners out there you know go on google and look it up and uh, actually i'm going to put a link when we do this next one for you to be able to take a test and determine what level of the consciousness spectrum you are and what color is associated with that and love to talk to people that are other fellow oranges i have an orange crushing it you know facebook page and you're welcome to join and learn more about it and just learn more about spiral dynamics and meet really cool people like other Frank Clarks and a lot of the other people that I've interviewed on this, on this podcast. Um, so Frank, thanks for being on the show today. All right. Thank you so much. It's my my pleasure. My honor. Hey brother, how can people get in touch with you if they want to talk to you more? So best way to get in touch with me would probably be through LinkedIn or 
Facebook, uh, I will throw out an, I guess, an email. I get overwhelmed by email, so I don't like to give my email address out. But uh, I, I'd say find me on on Facebook or through the New York Power Team. That's the best way. New York Power Team. All right, and Facebook. Reach out to me on a Facebook chat, and I'll get back to you as quickly as I can. Right. He's the green one. When you're looking up Facebook, you'll see me, but look for the other guy. <laughs> now I'm going to need a green theme. i got to re- reinvent the whole brand again. All right. And we'll go do – and by the way, sometime we'll do another podcast, go toe-to-toe on green versus orange, and I'll give you my <laughs> personal opinion on all of that. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. So I got to brush up on my spiral dynamics. You got it, man. All right. Well, enjoy the rest of your day, everybody, and uh, stay inspiring. Thanks, Frank, for being here, brother. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Orange Crushing It. Hope you're fired up to take on your week with unstoppable energy. Hey, if you like the broadcast, please subscribe. Share it with your best buds, and please write a badass review. You can also reach me at themrorange.com. Stay inspiring, all. <laughs>